Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shot my cake hole. You shot the cake hole? I shot the... <laughs> the collective cake hole? The, the collective cake hole. <laughs> and today we're going to be discussing the 21st episode of the fourth season of Supernatural titled The Levy Breaks. Jamie, what did you think? Okay. This... It's an episode, I guess. It is such an episode. It is... <laughs> I'll put it out there. It's not what I was expecting you to love. <laughs> and you would have been right. Yeah. I, this is not an episode that I love. I think it falls into a similar category as like the two-part season mid-finale thing in the bomb that mm-hmm. they did in the middle of the season. Tonally, not my jam. Yeah. Just a little bit too heavy on the like... Drama. Yeah. And not in a way that's camp. Yeah. To be clear, like this, the reason I didn't think you would love this one is because it falls too heavy into the deep and emotional and there's no funny ha ha jokes. Like I yeah. knew that you would like like the monster at the end of this book. I knew that you would like It's a Terrible Life because it leans into this like sort of more comedic yeah. take and this like sort of AU scenario. This one I was like, Jamie's not gonna love it. I can just I just know. I just know. I will say though, it was a little bit like an aha gotcha moment. I saw, like, obviously the the episode starts with them, like, locking Sam in the... Panic room. Panic room. Yeah. In the basement. And I'm like, okay, so we're, like, this must be, like, a Jeremy Carver episode. We all know how he feels about Sam. We're not going to see Sam for the next 40 minutes. Yeah. And then I saw Sarah Gamble's name <laughs> onto the screen. And I was like, oh, that's not going to be it at all. To be fair, because... I, I love that take from you. I think that's hilarious. But I do think it is interesting that, like, Sarah Gamble writes very interesting Sam episodes. Yes. Because, like, I'm thinking Houses of the Holy. She also writes very interesting Dean episodes. Sarah Gamble just writes really interesting episodes. Yes, but not in the same way as someone like Andrew Darb writes really interesting <laughs> episodes. Yeah, that's interesting in a, like, wow, that was an interesting choice. And she writes it like, wow, that was an interesting choice. Yeah. Very, the tone is the thing that's yeah. key in that sentence. I realised something. I realised why After School Special was so bad. Okay. It's because he was given, you have to have this for Sam in this episode to get to here. So obviously, in the, I reckon in the writer's room, he was told, we need this from Sam so that mm. we can use this in this episode that we've got plotted for later in the season. Mm. And he was given nothing for Dean. Which is why Dean's shit in there is terrible. So, oh and my while God, Sam's so stuff is so good because he got given what he needed to do with Sam's plot line. Oh my God, you're so But right. he didn't get given what to do with Dean. So he's just sort of flailing. So the reason, the bit that's good about After School Special is because it was pre-plotted by Sarah Gamble. Yes. That's my theory. And we're not keeping that in the podcast because I want to burn, like, it just feels unnecessarily mean. I don't know that it does. I've seen the finale. For sure, Robert, <laughs> that I haven't seen, it feels really unnecessarily mean to already be like... Do you know what? No, no, no. We'll keep this. We'll keep this for when we watch the finale. <laughs> and then we'll see if you still think it's too mean. But no, so that, that was... that. It hit me. I was like, because they use the same actor for, like, yeah. young Sam as they have here. And obviously, I think partially it's, like, convenience purposes. It's like they've already hired this kid actor this season. They don't have to try and go back to the kid actor they hired two seasons back to see if he's 
I think the key comes from this episode would have been pre-plotted in the terms of they knew that they ha- they wanted this to happen to Sam and they yeah. would have known that they wanted the hallucinations. So it makes sense that this episode would have been plotted out and designed way before a filler episode, essentially. After School Special yeah. is not an episode that's particularly plot relevant. Yeah. You know, it is a filler for most intents and purposes. So it does make sense that this would have been one of the structural bones that everything else was plotted around, which, yeah, means that they said, hey we want a flashback of Sam as a kid so that we can tie it back to this later episode. And we want these vague these, themes for these Sam themes. in that episode. I did have that thought, and I thought that one might be something that was of interest to you. It's very of interest to me. I'm so glad you thought of it, I, I've never considered it before. I don't, I don't think we've got any proof for it either, is the other thing. Like, I think we have, we have as much proof of it as we do of anything else that we say about this show. So... Do we want to... How do we want to cover this episode? Because, you know, it's already kind of outlined. You didn't love it. Mm-hmm. You don't have that many notes for it. I have a couple of things I want to talk about in terms of, like, set design and imagery and stuff. Same. Same, okay. right? I Amazing. was thinking I want to talk about set design and imagery in this episode. Okay, great. We can totally run with that because I have so many notes about that. I have more mm-hmm. notes about that than I think anything else. Yeah. So where did you want to start? With the wings. Yeah. Because I thought... When I originally saw, like, when you first see Cass in that scene, like, you know the scene I'm talking about, where it's, like, he's standing and he's, the wings, like, I don't actually know what it is. I couldn't ID what object is behind him that makes it look like he has wings. There are a couple of instances. I'm going to need you to narrow it down, which scene you're The first about. one where you see with Cass. And he's sort of, like, he's standing there and he's perfectly framed, so it looks like he's got his wings, but they're, like, black and burnt and battered. I literally don't know what scene you're talking about, but I want to. What is the context? So it's when Dean's like, I've been screaming horse or oh, whatever. That's oh. it. And it looks like he's got the wings yes. behind oh, him. Yes. And, but they look like they're black and like they look damaged. They don't yeah. look like angel wings as you typically anticipate. And I thought, oh, they're actually showing us Cass's wings. And then he steps forward yeah. and they're not his wings. See, I love that you noticed that because I'm always so distracted by like the halo imagery of the mm-hmm. light above him that I've never even noticed. Did the you not wing imagery? No. Should we go back and show you a picture of that scene? Yeah, scene? low key. <laughs> okay. Are you finding it or am I? I'll find it. Okay. Okay, so I have pulled up the scene that Jamie is talking about. Yeah. For reference, it is 13 minutes and 39 seconds in according to my streaming service. And you are absolutely right. There's like the crunched up metal. Yeah. I have never noticed that. Dude, the wing. That is such a good pick. I thought you were talking about like the car behind. And I was like, what no. are you talking about? But no, oh my God. That is, I am so glad you noticed that because I have literally never. And if you don't know what we are talking about, please go to 13 minutes and 39 seconds and look at this screen cap. Can I re-look at the scene just so I remember yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Like, that is exactly, that is exactly the scene that I was thinking of. That is exactly what. Yeah. It's per- That is so good. Yeah, because I didn't pick up on that. Like, there are so many different things to do with the imagery and the lighting in this episode that I think it is genuinely easy to miss some. And that is something that I've never noticed. I also think um, you've talked a lot about how they do, like, the wings with, like, shadows and stuff. Yeah. A lot. And I think I almost prefer that sort of wing imagery. I love it all. I like this sort of symbolism of he's there, he's got his wings back, he's he's an angel again, quote-unquote, in all the ways he's meant to be an angel again. Freshly lobotomized, yeah rebooted in heaven <laughs> reset if you will new halo new me yeah literally 
And I kind of like the idea of he's come back and now the wing imagery is no longer big and majestic and graceful. It's it crumpled. is crumpled. It is metal. It is like it's it looks like it's been his image of heaven has been disrupted. And so his, his the wing imagery that we're getting now is no longer pristine and pristine and massive and it's all scrunched up into a little ball of scrap metal and he steps away from it. And because I've always noticed he steps out of the light, like he steps away from the halo, but it's not just that. He's stepping away from the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Dude, that's so interesting. And also the concept of like, I don't know if they used this particular descriptor when we were talking about Anna. I can't remember. But usually when angels fall, like we get that sort of terminology, they also say they lose their wings. And so for you to, like, make that connection of, like, his wings have been damaged in correlation with this, like, recent trauma to do with heaven is so interesting when we talk about other angels and their trauma with heaven and, like, particularly angels like Anna and, like, this association of wings. It's just, and actually, the state of an angel's wings is something that we will track throughout the seasons to know their, like, health status and like you know and I'm getting in early you were on the ground fucking floor with this one this is so great I can't believe you haven't noticed the wings no do you know what it might be because it's a bit dark <laughs> Jesus Christ uh, that's a vintage season one driver gets the podcast <laughs> oh god anyway what other imagery stuff while we're while we're on it because okay. there is a lot in this episode I think it could be good to sort of take note of it all kind of in one place although let's be real that's never really worked out well for us in the past the first note that I had about that one was specifically the wings. Like, yeah. you can see the wings. He steps away from the wings. Yeah. And you can already see he's cracking again. Yeah, it's so quick, the turnaround. It's like minuscule cracks. We know also that he's trying to avoid Dean. Yes. Because he has been ignoring Dean for two and a half hours while he is screaming himself hoarse. And Cass is like, mm-mm. Can't go down there. Mm-mm, can't do that. And he, he left Dean on red. Literally. And then he cracks within he's down there and Dean is like shitty with him and he apologizes. Like he cracks and says, I can't help within like a minute. Like it's not even like I won't help. It's like, I'm sorry, I can't. You know? And it's the switch up. It just happens. It's basically like everything that it took from Lazarus rising to... 420. Uh, yeah, 420. 420. Like Cass's de- <laughs> literally. Cass's development across those 20 episodes has been condensed into the last five minutes of last episode and yeah. the first 15 minutes of this episode. It's just like the Castiel cracks again, re- like speedrun edition. It's like, you won't believe how quick he does it this time. Yeah, literally. And then, of course, in that basically that same scene, you mm-hmm. have Dean agreeing to work with the angels yeah. and essentially giving up his bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, you get the bar imagery so in the lighting over much. his face. Which leads me to a new theory. Okay, love to hear it. Dean's going to be a meat suit for an angel just like Jimmy Novak. Oh, okay. Because why else would they have him agree to something so all-encompassing and vague while yeah. also having essentially prison imagery which is a lot of people who have been possessed by both angels and demons have said it's kind of like being trapped yeah it's like being imprisoned chained to a comet chained to a comet talking about like prison imagery like bar imagery if you think about like the ball and chain like if you are chained to a comet which is just like a big rock essentially like 
essentially like to be a prisoner. And actually, I'm so glad that you brought this up because I wanted to talk about how in this scene, this scene is just so much, yeah. right, between Dean and Cass. It's like a huge We'll talk about this scene for 40 minutes and then we'll have like 10 minutes addendum about Sam. Sam and his entire drama. <laughs> Look, we, there rant. is so much in this episode. So basically... I'm really excited to talk about bar imagery across this whole episode. Yeah. It is actually very present in so many different scenes with Dean, but also with Sam, but also with Cass. I think even Bobby at one point, I will have to check my notes, but basically in this scene in particular, Cass and Dean keep swapping who has the bar imagery. Yeah. So like they're standing together and then like Dean like walks off or like Cass walks off. Also, why are they standing so close together? I know. I know. And for what? They have an entire scrapyard. It's like they zoom out so that you can see how much space they had to stand apart. I know. It's so funny. Standing within like a meter of each other in the center of the frame. Staring at each other saying nothing for, I timed it, 12.8 seconds. 12.8 seconds. And do you know what? They're making direct eye contact for the first 10 and a half of those. Dean only breaks contact for like the last two seconds. What's that like theory that if you make and hold eye contact for a certain amount of seconds, like like, it induces love or whatever? Yes. I'm Googling. Literally. And for what? For what? Episode written by Sarah Gamble. Episode directed by Robert Singer. For what? (laughs) Oh, I am in their walls. (laughs) Okay, so love at first sight is apparently a real thing, but here's the deal. It only works on your end. Researchers using hidden cameras found that men who stared at a woman for 8.2 seconds or more were far more likely to feel like they had fallen in love at first sight. Fuck off. That is so funny. Oh, I love when science backs me up. (laughs) How long do you reckon they looked at each other in Lazarus Rising? Because there's also some prolonged eye contact there. It dramatically increases the chances of love. In two studies, subjects to exchange a usual unbroken gaze for two minutes with a stranger of the opposite sex reported increased feelings of passionate love for each other. That is hilarious. I wish I could see the fucking stage notes on that script. I don't actually know if this is a script that the Phantom has available. I don't have time to look it up right now, but if it is and someone knows who's listening, please, God, send me the link because I need to see this. I need to know at what point in production they were like, yeah, we'll make them stare at each other for 12 full seconds. It's just so funny. Anyway, the Destiel of it all, even if you're not beginning to ship it, do you understand why we're all insane about it? I just can't believe they're like, let's just do all of these things that we would traditionally do for a male-female romantic pairing mm-hmm. and then act surprised yeah. when people are like, oh, what do you mean this isn't a romantic pairing? Yeah. It's like, because you're using the romantic pairing cues. Yeah. You see where the gaslighting comes in. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So... I had a look in my notes. So what actually happens is there is originally Cass walks away and there's like some bar imagery on him. And then they have the conversation about the angels and stuff. And Dean says, you're a dick these days, obviously referencing Cass's recent rebooting. Mm -hmm. And then Dean walks away and suddenly the bar imagery is on Dean. And I think that's really interesting because it's sort of like Cass who has recently been rebooted and he's sort of trapped under this like, you know, needing to obey orders and and whatnot. And recently being, I think Dean says, uh, have his ass reamed by heaven, which is a whole nother look 
Even Bobby in this episode goes from saying, you know, I can't believe you signed up to let be the angel's bitch to saying, oh, I'm sorry, do you prefer sucker? Like, there's a lot of stuff. They made choices. They made so many choices in this episode. Anyway, point is, we end up with swapping bar imagery. So it goes from having bar imagery across cast when he's saying, like, I'm sorry, I can't help, and, you know, all these bits and pieces, to Dean walking away and saying, if I do this, Sammy doesn't have to, and then... Yes, saying, I'll do it. Okay, I'm in. Then I did want to talk about when Dean walks back to Cass and Cass is basically doing that thing that they do at weddings where they're like, repeat after me and then you do your vows kind Mm. of thing. And he's essentially getting Dean to do that in terms of like swearing his allegiance to heaven. One of the things that he says is, do you swear to obey him as in like God as swiftly and obediently as you did your own father? And I just want to say the jacking Joyce's in that moment are incredible because the way that Dean like tenses and like he tightens his jaw and he tilts his head up like a little bit more, like it's so subtle, but it is so effective. Like just the framing of that, like, do you swear to obey him as swiftly and obediently as you did your own father? It's just like, fuck. And it really highlights that whole thing that I've been saying since season one about how John really is the god equivalent for like Sam and Dean. And Sarah Gamble was really just like, let's make this in text. Yeah, genuinely. And so actually, this is another thing about her episodes. They are so interesting in regards to faith and religion, and they always have been from season one, like including the episode Faith. So I think that that line in particular, it really just hits hard for me. And I think that the way that Jensen portrayed Dean's reaction to it is just phenomenal. I think it just really stands out for me as like a key moment in this episode. I also love when Cass says nothing of import and the way that Dean throws that back at him. I just think it's very fun. It is not the last time that we have Cass say that Smith was nothing of import. And I just think that's entertaining. But also when Dean agrees to work for the angels and we get that ridiculously long zoom out shot of them, the streetlight behind Dean is off. Mm. It's not lit like everything else is. And I do think that is interesting, considering this is an episode with so much halo and wing imagery. I really want to know, there is a scene in this episode where it's like, Cass is standing there and it's like the light is just shining on his face. When they take Anna? Yeah, when they take Anna. Like the light is just shining on his face. Mm -hmm. And I just want to know like if he's ever talked about filming that scene, because I feel like that light on your face would be like blinding. I don't know that... I've ever heard about Misha Collins talking about that particular effect. I know that he's talked about walking into the barn in Lazarus Rising and that they forgot to re-mist his hair and so he could smell his hair burning from the sparks as he walked in. But I don't remember if he's ever spoken about the white, like, blinding light. Because, yeah, in every fucking scene where they're like, close your eyes to the humans, Cass just looks directly into the light. Like, does Misha (laughs) Collins have vision issues now? Like... (laughs) Is he entitled to financial compensation from the CW? I think he is, uh, regardless of the vision thing. (laughs) But yes, no, I would be interested to, yeah. I wonder if it's like a light box, maybe. Because then that's maybe it's a bit softer. Yeah, it's not like looking directly into a torch or something. Because I don't know how he would not squint if that was the case. Because he always has his eyes like wide fucking open. So it must be maybe, yeah, some kind of light box or something to mute it a little. And then they can obviously up the contrast and stuff in editing, but clearly they can because they usually drop it. Yeah. But (laughs) 
Like, because I'm sitting there watching it on my laptop and, like, mind you, I've got my brightness up to full because I'm watching the CW Supernatural. Yeah. And, like, I'm there at, like, 2 a.m. in the morning watching this episode, like, squinting against the screen because it's actually fucking bright. Yeah. I was like... You're like, what is this? Like, my eyes had adapted to a low-light setting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Actually, while we're on this scene, I did want to talk about it because before when you were asking me, like, oh, you know the scene where he's got, like, the wings... I was actually thinking about this scene. Okay, well, I so, didn't notice wings in this scene. So when, even. <laughs> yeah, when we get the shot of Cass leaning against the railing and he's, like, looking out over the water. Mm. So there is obviously the light above him. Halo. The halo, yeah. Mm. But the way that the street lamp curves makes me think of, like, a side profile of a wing. So, like, if you think about, like, the way that a question mark kind of yeah. curves, yeah. that's kind of – so I sort of see that as kind of wing imagery. It's actually not as obvious as the one that you saw <laughs> – so interesting that you picked out the subtle version of wing imagery yeah and to be honest like looking at the one like mine kind of feels like a reach yours is very clearly like wing imagery yeah so i think that's quite entertaining but i do want to talk about this scene but also if it's just like a straight i can't remember the scene so i might be grasping at straws here (laughs) if it's just the like the sort of outline shape Mm -hmm. of the wings it's kind of like the hollow idea of wings yeah. Like, because it's wings as a negative space. Yeah. Versus, yeah. like, wings as an actual physical object. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that we get sort of the idea of wings as negative space right after we've seen him literally walking away from a physical representation of wings. Yeah. And this scene in particular is really interesting for that kind of, like, perspective because this is the scene where he's betrayed Anna. And it's particularly significant. Like, obviously, like we've said a couple of times, He's right off the back of this rebooting by heaven. And when Anna... They're going to reboot Anna, aren't they? Well, if they rebooted Cass, what's to stop them from rebooting Anna? I obviously can't speak yeah. to plot stuff. No, but that is a great yeah. a great point. And obviously, like, when Cass was taken back to heaven in the episode last week where we met Jimmy, and Anna made a point of, like, no, if Cass has been taken back to heaven, that is a very bad thing. He must have really done something to piss someone off. Imagine how much Anna has pissed them off. Yeah. Cass was mildly helpful to a human one time. And, and Anna, Anna ripped out her grace to be a human. And so I think what else is really interesting is like before Cass got rebooted, he had gone to Anna for guidance. He had gone like for the first time. I feel, and she goes, like, it gets worse. And it's that moment for him where he's like, tell me what to do. And she's like, no, that's the point. You're supposed to figure out what you're going to do. That's the whole point of this. So now that he's been rebooted and, like, one of the first orders that he had was to turn Anna in because Anna is a threat, right? He wasn't supposed to go talk to Dean. He didn't for two and a half hours. Last time we saw Dean pray, Cass was there, like, instantaneously, like, prayer is a it sign of faith. It would be interesting if we ever find out whether the two and a half hours Cass made Dean wait was Cass's choice because he didn't want to be tempted to crack again mm. or Heaven's orders. And then him going to Dean is breaking Heaven's orders. Ooh, I kind of love that. In my mind, I think that it's not breaking Heaven's orders. One, no. because I think he's currently too scared to do that. No based on his recent experiences. Mm. Two, because he goes down there to offer Dean the ultimatum. I think that it was Heaven's orders, and I think it was Heaven waiting for Dean to be desperate enough that he would be willing to say yes to what they oh, so they're pulling a ruby. Pulling a ruby. 
which is also really relevant to this episode. But yeah, so I think that that is Cass following an order. I think it's him following an order he doesn't particularly like, but... It's He's also been reset recently enough. That it's like less yeah. complicated for him. And it's it's very interesting. Cass as a character is super interesting. And it is fun to see him do the like Fallen for Humanity speedrun after, you know, yeah. watching him kind of do it slow-mo for 20 episodes. And it is going to be more interesting again watching it's next week. It's almost like when, you know, you, you've got a piece of like a... Say you've got a plate and the plate cracks. Mm-hmm. And okay, you repair the crack, but it's still more likely to crack again because it's got a crack already. Just because the crack's repaired doesn't completely yeah. remove the fact that it did crack. Yeah. A plate that's been glued back together with super glue is... It's not plate as it originally was like you can still see the crack like it's still there you've just kind of delayed the inevitable (laughs) yeah so it's kind of like that with like Cass and Heaven and Dean it's like Dean is the crack and just because you've technically removed the crack from Cass this is a bad this is such a funny way to hear you explain it (laughs) like Dean's still in the crack you know what I mean so funny is because this is a terrible metaphor for obvious reasons but the thing is they use a metaphor later in the show where they literally describe him as the angel with the crack in his chassis and like the fact that they use a car metaphor (laughs) is like (laughs) so funny in and of itself so i you're not wrong you're not wrong you are in fact backed up by canon yeah not for a few seasons there is an episode in season six. I cannot wait for you to see. Anyway. It's a terrible metaphor, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, okay. While we are talking about Cass. Yeah. Pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, he betrays Anna, which is part of his orders. In that scene, I just want to, like, make a little note. When he turns back around after, like, Anna's been taken, there's a little string loose in his trench coat. Right on the back. Like, quite close to the middle. It's just, like, this little... It's, like, maybe two centimeters long. And it's just, like, a loose thread. It's just, like, kind of flapping. And I don't know why. That's a conscious costuming choice because he's unraveling. Oh, I love that. I just thought it was funny. Wow, you're really out here today with these hot takes that I just am completely missing. But yeah, you could take it that way that he's like, it's it's a crack in the the facade, in the armor, in, you know, especially Cass with his coat. Like Jimmy last episode barely wore the coat. Mm. The coat is like Cass's choice. Yeah. It is a choice that we see him continue to make over the seasons to the point where we have scenes of him repairing the coat. Like, it's part of his identity. And so, yeah, for it to have a little pull in one of the threads is actually, yeah, probably more significant than I was going to joke about it being. But yeah, that's right on the money, probably. Okay, so obviously betraying Anna was part of Cass's orders. He tells us this. Letting Sam out of the panic room, also Cass's orders. And I'm interested to see what you're thinking about that. I think it all ties back into making Dean desperate. Okay. Do you have an elaboration on that? So if Sam was safe in the paddock room, Mm -hmm. what Dean would be willing to do on behalf of the angels is more limited because there is no risk to Sam. Yeah. And like his entire motivation is saving Sam, is protecting Sam, is making sure Sam isn't in a position 
Yeah. Actually, he says later in the episode when he's confronting Sam, I just want you to be okay. Yes. Like, you're lying to yourself and I just want you to be okay. He's willing to do this so that Sam doesn't... And we, have, and we literally get a, the line from Cass in this episode about how Sam is like a stone's throw away and, like, if he, if he wants to be able to defeat Lilith, he needs to consume so much demon blood that it would... Physically change him. Physically change him. There's no going back from sort of changes. Mm-hmm. So while Sam is safely locked up in the panic room, there's so no safe risk. Safe is a relative term. There is no, <laughs> there is no risk of that irreparable change happening. Yeah, because Dean is refusing to bring him any sort of demon blood. Yeah. But as soon as Sam's out, he's suddenly at risk again because, like, let's face it, this entire thing with Ruby has all been an elaborate scheme for her to get him into this position. Whatever her motives are behind it, yeah. this is what she wants. You see when they're doing like the little fake out sex scene thing in Bob, mm-hmm. where it looks like he's going to eat her out and then he pulls yeah. the knife. And then um, he, well, he doesn't not eat her. <laughs> and then you get her and she looks over and she smiles when she sees that he goes straight for the blood. Mm-hmm. That it's not the sexual element of that that he's after, it's the blood. Yeah. So while we're talking about the Sam Ruby situation, maybe let's talk about the new sort of plot stuff and like a bit of lore that we got in this episode. Lilith as the first human turned demon. Yes. Yes. So obviously we get that Lilith was quote unquote Lucifer's first So she was a human soul that he tempted and converted into the demon as basically a big fuck you to God. Which, iconic. Love that behaviour. Lucifer's really out here girl-bossing it up. (laughs) Yeah. And Lilith is old as hell, is the other thing. So we have Lilith. We also find out that Lilith is the only one who can actually break the final seal. I think what's really interesting is they did make it like... Obviously, there's a first seal that has to break. Yeah. That's very specific. And there's a final seal that has to break. Yeah. That's also very specific. But, like, everything else is, like, a (laughs) free-for-all. free-for-all. There's, like, so many options. Like... Which does kind of make me wonder why the angels have been bothering so hard about preventing all these little seals from being broken. It's like, well, if you just get rid of Lilith, it prevents... Like, it circumvents the whole problem. Because it's really interesting, because we've been told that the first seal was... The righteous man basically giving up and starting torturing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the first seal that was broken. Yeah. So it's really interesting because obviously that kind of mirrors Lilith mm, in that she yeah. was... She was turned into a demon. demon. So yeah. obviously they're going along the lines of like... It's like a mirror parallel yeah. sort of situation. So I think it'll be interesting to see what the final seal ends up being. Because obviously it has to be Lilith. And we've worked out by now that Lilith is a Dean parallel. Yeah. Which is a very interesting take. <laughs> Jamie, the interesting. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, like, um, like, the fact that you've identified Lilith to be a Dean parallel makes it so interesting that this whole season Sam is gearing up to kill Lilith. Okay. so And then, like, the final scenes from this episode... But if Dean is a Lilith parallel, Mm. does that almost make Ruby a Sam parallel? Because from what we know from Ruby, Ruby used to work with Lilith pretty Mm. extensively. And then she's now turned around. And is on the offensive. Is on the offensive. God, this is... Okay. 
obviously I know how the season wraps yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this parallel is very, it's a bit convoluted. I'll yeah, grant no. you. No, no. You've got I'm not saying it's of, not. You've got to look for it. Yeah. But I, like, there are commonalities. Like, I can see it. I can see where you draw the lines. Yeah. It is a very interesting take. And I would argue it's probably also a take you've never seen before. It's one that I don't remember. <laughs> I'll give you that. But I've also forgotten entire episodes of this show. So who knows? Maybe I just slept through the Tumblr post. But that's really interesting. It's, it, I don't think I've and ever interesting heard interesting of... moving forward with where they go with the season as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just interesting yeah. all around. Yeah. Like the concept of Dean and Lilith being a parallel or a mirror, I think is fascinating. I think it's also fascinating from a God perspective. Because if you have Lilith, who was the first human to turn into a demon, yeah, and then you have Dean, who is obviously the first righteous man, quote unquote, yeah, to well, the apocalypse has never happened in this way before, yeah, yeah. So it's like to be the first one, and then Dean's relation to God and Lilith's relation to God or to Lucifer, yeah, yeah, fascinating, very much so. Obviously, I, I'm missing a whole bunch of like context and information here, but like. It's an interesting sort of linear parallel between the two of them in terms of this particular plot. Yeah. Like, I don't, it's not got anything to do with their personalities no, or anything. No, it doesn't it's, track. It it's just, just very much like a simultaneous plot thread. Yeah. First of all, do you have any other thoughts on Lilith or on the Seals or any of that particular plot before we move on? Obviously, we're coming up to the finale, so you'll have predictions yeah. at the end of the episode. But And, like, this, this episode did give us more information about the plots, but I still don't think it's anything... I don't think there's anything that significantly alters or changes any of my other Existing. predictions. Okay, cool, cool, cool. We do get sort of parallel conversations between Dean and Bobby and also Sam and Ruby talking about how many seals are left. And I think yeah. Bobby's like, well, there can't be many. And like, you know. By my count, they've broken a shit tub. Yeah, and the other thing is like, we get the great interaction between Bobby and Rufus on the phone where Rufus calls and Bobby says, you'll suck dirt and die, Rufus. Yeah. You know, and then he calls back and obviously he tells Bobby that, like, these three things, which are all seals, have all been broken yeah. in one 24-hour period. So clearly things are ramping up. Yeah. And then obviously... Hence the title, When the Levy Breaks, because that yeah. all of the pressure, all of the... Finally building and breaking Bre- the dam. And it's finally started to be, like... There's cracks in the dam, you might say. Yeah. The cracks are showing. Anyway, so we have Dean and Bobby having that discussion, and then we also have Sam and Ruby, and... Ruby says, you know, two, three are probably left to break. And then Sam is, like, visibly shocked by this. And I'm kind of like, catch up, Sam. Like, <laughs> this has been happening all year. They only had to break 66. It's actually not that many. If it's over a one-year period, 66 seals over a one-year period. Yeah. One every with, five days. Like, yeah, one every five days. Like, it's not that. And there are 600 to choose from. Mm-hmm. And we know that the angels are out, like, not necessarily outnumbered, but we know that they're down at least 200 because that's how many it took to fucking pop Dean out of hell. Like, you know. And it's like, I'm obviously, sure they had so to shocked. rip Dean out of hell because if Dean's in hell, there is no way in hell that he could ever potentially stop it. Yeah. Well, and also, I, I also look, the intention was to get him out mm, before he broke. So, yeah. so they, the they kind of dropped the ball on that one. Yeah. I think that the angels think that Dean's got to stop the apocalypse in one way, but I think it's going to turn out that it's impossible for him to stop it like that and it's like a completely different way that he's actually going to break it. Oh, like, so you think, I think that Dean is going to subvert their expectations? I, I think the angels are wrong. Okay. I think Love the that. angels are basing it off of some sort of assumption 
that is inherently flawed okay. because they are out of touch with humanity with humanity and with what the demons are actually doing and i think it's the same reason why the lilith is so successful because whatever information the angels have is wrong like outdated basically is outdated okay because they that. were they were so far away from what was actually happening on earth for so long I think they're still going to give at least a bittersweet ending. So I don't think they're just going to do the full, the apocalypse happens. Mm -hmm. I I think they are going to have Dean stop it somehow, but I think it's not going to be stopped in the way the angels think it's going to be stopped. Okay. I've got a question. Is this your prediction for like the finale episode or do you think this is the, is this getting into season five? Yeah. Cause we still got another fucking season of this bullshit, don't we? Um, We've got another 11, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, but of this plotline specifically. Of this, of Kripke era, yeah. I think, maybe this is getting too much into what we normally do at the end of the episode, but I think that next episode, they're going to find a way to stall the apocalypse. Okay, so like, just sort of like, put put it on pause. And then season five is going to be like... Actually stopping it from actually occurring. Actually stopping it. it from occurring. Like, yeah. I think next episode, they're going to buy themselves enough time to actually try and stop the apocalypse. Okay. And whether that's by, like, killing Lilith or whatever, Mm -hmm. to try and get around that, and then it's revealed that there's actually another way the demons can do it. Yeah. Or, like, it was, like, a red herring. Or it was a red herring, or, like, the easy way is for Dean to break the first seal, then break 50-odd seals and then 59-odd seals in the middle, and then Lilith breaking the final seal is, like, the easy way. And the hard way is... They have to break all 666 seals. Yeah. Like, <laughs> They're like, actually, loophole. Like, loophole. yeah, exactly. Like, so your concept is like, with Lilith alive, they only have to break 66 and then Lilith breaks the 66th and then that's it. But if Lilith is thwarted, then the normal demons have to break the full 600. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I think it might be something like that. Or maybe they manage to like injure or maim Lilith to the point where... She's physically in, unable to break the final or like seal. Trap her somewhere. Trap her somewhere. Like sure. delay it until they can find a way to be able to actually kill her fully and fully stop the apocalypse. Yeah. Or, or like trap her indefinitely somehow. Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. Is there anything else you want to touch on on that, or do we want to wait until later on in the episode, getting into more predictiony stuff? Probably worth waiting to get on okay. any more specific predictiony stuff. Okie dokies. Uh, specifically, I want to. I wanted to touch on the point of the John coding in regards to the line, if you walk out that door, don't ever come back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's actually, I'm pretty sure, like, a direct John quote. The jo- or at least he's paraphrasing. Like, yeah. The Johnification of Dean is not something that we come across that often. But when we do, it's notable. And actually, in this scene, that... When he says that, that's Dean's theme playing. And that whole scene where Sam leaves and, like, when we see Dean left alone on the floor, that's, that entire piece of music is all Dean's theme. We also get the single man tear. We do. We do. Oh, I also want to make a note of, I actually fucking detest the piece of music they have before Dean's theme. The one where they're actually fighting. It's when horrible. Sam's, like, when Sam's strangling Dean? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so The bad. music when Sam's strangling Dean is so weird. That is a verbatim quote <laughs> from my notes. Okay. Same brain. We can, we can agree on that Same one. brain. We can agree I on that I was listening one. to it. I'm like, the bass of it's fine, but then it's got the weird, like, lyrical instrumental over the top of, like, the bass. And it's yeah. like, it's just like... It's weird. 
Yeah. It's distracting. Yeah. Like, I was more I was more focused on how annoying the music was than I was about the fact that Sam was literally trying to choke Dean to death. I was sitting there fucking laughing because <laughs> the music was such a weird choice. I'm sitting there like, how the fuck am I meant to take this scene seriously with this music? Yeah, it was a weird choice. Maybe let's talk about that end scene then. Mm. So the argument... Actually, let's, let's backtrack it just a little bit. When Dean is driving to find Sam and Ruby as well, and he's on the phone to Bobby, and Bobby makes the point to him, like, us finding Sam has got to be about getting him back, not pushing him away. I know you're mad, but be good to him anyway. <laughs> yeah, Dean really brought him back. Here's the thing. I was going to say, I think Dean really did try. Yeah. Oh, he failed, though. He failed, but he really... He did like, try. I'm not saying he didn't try. I'm just saying he failed. To his credit, he really tried. He really tried to be like, hey, we can go and take on Lilith. We can do that right now. But Ruby is the thing that a is deal a deal breaker. breaker. Right. Like, I don't trust her. And Sam, I, you know, I said before, Dean says, you're lying to yourself. Like, I just want you to be okay. And he's making the point of, like, look what Ruby has done to you. She's just up and vanishing and, like, leaving you without a hit for however long at a time. She's manipulating you. Mm -hmm. It is so obvious. And Sam is like, no. Sam is so on the defensive of this and he is so sure in himself. And I'm interested to see, I think I know where you fall on this, but I'm interested to know where you're sitting with the morality of Ruby and Sam versus Dean and the angels, like... Because, like, Sam is so convinced that Ruby is not trying to manipulate him. And Dean is so convinced that she is. Oh, she's 100% manipulating Sam. She's been manipulating Sam this whole goddamn time. Mm. I think I said earlier, like, regardless of what her actual goal, what her actual motivation is, she is manipulating Sam to achieve it. Okay. I think that is what the narrative is trying to get across, is that it doesn't matter what Ruby's actual intent is overall. It is, like, the way that she is trying to get there is by manipulating Sam. Yeah. And so, like, you have this really interesting sort of dichotomy of, like, the argument that Dean is making is, like, she is manipulating you specifically, and Sam is like, no, she is trying to thwart Lilith, and it's like, okay, Those but two are mutually exclusive. They are not mutually exclusive, exactly. And like, so, like, they're She both- can be trying to thwart Lilith, by manipulating you. Yeah, like, exactly. So Dean's problem is with the way that she is trying to achieve her ends. Because she's using Sam to do it. Because I don't think Ruby gives a shit what happens to Sam. Whereas Dean clearly does. Yeah. Obviously. And actually, we get a, a line from Bobby where he says, you know, I love that boy like a son. Maybe he's trapped in that room right now instead of out on the battlefield because we love him too much. And you get a really interesting shot of Dean like his perspective reaction when Bobby says, I love that boy like a son. And it's like, for me at least, I think it really, really leads credibility to what we've been talking about since season one, which is that Dean is not Sam's older brother. He is literally his parent. Yeah. And I think that Dean is way more aware of that than most of the other characters. Although I do think that Bobby kind of gets it, Mm. you know? I think Bobby sees it. I don't think Sam sees it at all. But I think that Dean is aware of it. And in that moment, I think it's clear. And actually, that interaction between Dean and Bobby is really interesting because it comes from, first of all, actually, Dean and Bobby are spending so much time in the study. And Mm -hmm. that is the room that's specifically colored red, which is coming back to a lot of the imagery and color and light symbolization that we're getting in this episode. But yeah, Dean and Bobby spend so much time in the like red room, as it were. And 
the contrast, it's really interesting Bobby and Dean having this argument about whether or not they are doing the right thing by Sam by leaving him in the panic room. And so Bobby is like advocating for like slowly weaning Sam off of the addictive substance, obviously in this instance, the demon blood. And Dean is like, no, no, cold turkey. And he is like, I refuse to give him more of the blood. I also think it's just like a practicality standpoint for Dean. It's like, where the fuck is he going to get demon blood? Yeah, there's, like, a, there's a lots of compounding factors that come into their arguments, I think. But like, not only is it, I don't want to potentially impede any progress he's making down there and prolong his suffering by sort of drawing out the process by weaning him off. Mm. It's also, how the fuck am I going to get demon blood? Demon blood. Like, and actually, this is an interesting point because Bobby says, well, and if he dies, and then Dean says, then at least he dies human. Because that also comes after the chat with, with Cass, Cass, where Cass says, no, like, he will be, if you, he crosses that line, if he consumes the amount of blood he'd need to defeat Lilith, mm-hmm. he is going to become something that you would normally hunt. Exactly. And honestly, like, we've already had Dean tell Sam, like, you you know how far up the reservation you've gone, how far from normal, mm-hmm. how far from human. If I didn't know you, I would want to hunt you. Mm-hmm. Like, he's already kind of at that point. But in saying that, we have Sam's hallucination of Dean versus actual Dean. And it's really interesting because the hallucination Dean is basically saying to Sam that, like, you are a monster and you're so far gone and I, I'm so glad I don't have to pretend to care about you anymore. And then you have the contrast, which is Dean talking to Bobby at the same time and saying, I would die for him in an instant but I won't let him become a monster. And he says, like, that's that's my line. I guess that's the yeah. line. So it's really interesting that Sam's hallucination is that Dean is calling him a monster and saying that he can never come back from that. And then Dean, with Sam at that exact same point, is saying, I won't let this go any further. Like, Dean is like, he's not a monster yet. I'm not going to let it happen. But to Sam, Sam is sort of like internally, I suppose, thinks that, Either he thinks that he is a monster, he's already past that turning point, or he thinks that Dean would believe him to be a monster at this point. Bonkers bananas. Bonkers bananas. Really a TV show. <laughs> I don't think Supernatural can be classed as a television show. I think it's just classed as a media experience. Like, there are so many so many facets to it. It's not just the actual show. It's everything else around it you've got to factor in as well. Oh, I really do quickly just want to talk about they really, in this episode, was like, oh, yeah, Lilith literally eats babies. Oh, yeah, they just threw that in for funsies. That is the closest this episode had to a co- comical moment. Like, there are two vaguely comical moments. One is Lilith eats babies, and the other was a demon detox manual. I do love that line from Bobby. <laughs> but, yes, Lilith eats babies. And that's that on that. It's never really relevant again. That was just a choice that Sarah made, I suppose. And all I can say is... Sarah, if you're listening, we love your work. Yeah, basically. (laughs) uh, That'll do. (laughs) Before we move too far along, I do want to quickly finish talking about the end scene between Sam and Dean. So one of the arguments that Dean makes is like, you don't know what you're doing. And then Sam says, yes, I do. And then Dean says, then that's worse. Like the fact that you know what you're doing and you're still fucking choosing to do it, that is worse than if you didn't know and you were just going in blind. Red flag. And he continues on to say, it's not something that you're doing, it's something that you are. It means, and then like, there's the 
prolonged pause and Sam's like, don't, like, not from you, like, I can't hear it from you. And Dean's like, you're a monster. It's very interesting because earlier in the episode, and I do want to move into talking about it now because the fact that we haven't talked about it yet is almost... I mean, it's the main point of the episode, which is the fact that Sam is having these hallucinations and he's going through his detox and we need to talk about it. But I do think it's interesting that, like, Sam... But neither of us are Sam girls and neither of us want to talk about it. Yeah, rip. Sorry, KJ. Uh... <laughs> really should have had KJ on this episode. We really sh- I mean, look, I should have thought about that. But basically, the reason that I'm going to use this as a segue is because we have a couple of moments where Sam draws on his hallucinations for that scene and i don't you're looking at me like i'm talking crazy you look at me like i don't know what you mean by draw on so So i'm I'm just not understanding your point is is the look of confusion that's fine i assumed you're about to elaborate so that's why i didn't say anything yeah and that's fine i'm going to explain what i'm talking about i promise so first of all obviously we have dean do the whole like you're a monster and like that is part of his hallucination his worst case scenario thing Mm -hmm. that dean could ever say to him so like that sucks but what he says to dean is like because dean says you know like god chose me man like that's not on you that's on me and sam says no you're not strong enough i'm being practical i'm doing what needs to be done and that's actually quoting mary from the hallucination earlier in the episode i did want to talk about the mary hallucination cool because I'm trying... Okay, so these hallucinations, mm-hmm. I'm trying to work out if they're Sam hallucinating, trying to deal with the sensations his body is going through with the demon blood withdrawals, like mm-hmm. the way he's getting like thrown around the room and like yeah. the shaking and the paranoia and the paralysis and all of that sort of stuff. So he, like when he's paralyzed on the bed in pain, he sees Alice there torturing him. Yeah. And like, so it, I don't know if it's necessarily that or if it's the demon blood essentially trying to protect itself mm. by manifesting hallucinations to try and get him to consume more consume more in terms of the origin of the hallucinations i'm assuming we never find out whether it's sam or the demon blood i don't think that we ever get an exact explanation on the medical impact of demon blood on yeah. hallucination like i don't think we ever get that like i don't think it's that fucking that's shocking yeah i know right you'd think that would have been like the main plot of the episode <laughs> it's like when they told me i was gonna get salt lore and then i didn't get salt lore. yeah so anyway no i don't think we ever actually get an explanation it's sort of up to audience interpretation i assume my interpretation is that as with possession a lot of the time it is the blood sort of he is having the hallucinations because he's going through withdrawals i think that that is partially because of just general withdrawal from particular substances, but also heightened by the fact that it is a supernatural substance mm. that is being withdrawn. And you could be very right in saying that it may be a like defensive mechanism to get him to continue consuming it. Although, to be fair, I don't know that anyone else in the history of humanity has consumed demon blood intentionally like mm. this. At least not that we ever find out about ever i like not that i remember at least because it would be interesting if like you know how they said like two seasons back now then they did nothing about it about like generations <laughs> of special children. special children if they did have other special children consuming demon blood and then they were like More regularly yeah no we're gonna quit and then the the quitting killed them like the demon blood's kind of like well either you're consuming demon blood or you're dead like yeah to force it to be sort of like either you continue drinking demon blood to survive mm-hmm. 
or you die. Almost like that whole concept of like eating food from the fae. Once you take food from the fae, you can only eat food from the fae. Yeah. Basically. Like maybe that, like I can see how that could be yeah. sort of the situation. And like, obviously we don't see anyone else with a demon blood addiction, but... Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm also assuming that to form a demon blood addiction, you had to have been fed demon blood as a baby. Like, like you to can't... To start with. You can't just be like, oh yeah, I, I'm 21, I need a new drug, <laughs> I'm going to start drinking demon blood. Like, yeah. you already need to have... It's not like that episode with the vampires where they're drugging the girls with vampire blood yeah. yeah it's not you're not doing that like if you tried to drink demon blood when you hadn't previously had it as a baby or whatever mm-hmm. it would probably just instantly kill you kind of so it's yeah. kind of like having a vaccine the initial yeah. droplet six months is like your first yeah. blue shot kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah okay though i would think it'd be interesting if azazel had over the years been giving sam more demon blood than that anyway um so i'm not 100 percent sure on the basis of the hallucinations yeah. I would argue that, like other possessions, they are built in things that the person in in question does believe on some level, but they are being extrapolated or manipulated. It's not so much about what the person believes, it's about what they believe that person believes. No, I would argue it is what the person believes, like the host believes, but it's stuff that is, like, it might be a, a fear or a, like, like an irrational fear or a something that you're self-conscious about that is not actually true to an external person. It's just, it's true for you. And so I think that that can be used to manipulate. Like we've seen even going as far back as like asylum, the things that Sam was saying to Dean when he was possessed, I would, I argued then and I would argue now that I think he does believe them to some degree on some level. It's just that he would never actually say it under any other circumstance. Oh, I'm also meaning like he's projecting thoughts onto other people. Oh, so yes, that's, yes, so like yes. he believes that Dean thinks you were... he's a monster. Okay, I, yes, it's not necessarily like rooted in any sort of truth. It's it's about what he believes they believe. Okay, so it's not necessarily like I think I'm a monster. It's I think Dean thinks I'm a monster. Okay, it is about him sort of projecting his fears onto others. Yeah, and his fears of what other people think of, of him back onto himself sort of from that vantage point and the reason that i was sort of curious as to whether we got an answer about whether it's sort of like demon induced or sam induced is because obviously like i was watching the scene and i was trying to work out like the hallucination of mary because sam has never met mary no and actually i had a note on that because i was like god why do they always put her in this fucking nightgown and then i realized it's because that is like sam's subconscious that is the last thing she looked like to him above his crib before she burst into flames in the nightgown with the fucking blood all over her stomach that is his last memory of her so even if it is only buried subconsciously and he can't actively remember it if he's hallucinating Mm. that's what his brain is going to draw on because it is the most complete and recent image he has of her yeah and so the reason that i was curious is because if it's Sam just like these solutions that nations are coming from Sam this is Sam's body trying to deal with it it's based on what Sam knows of Mary whereas if it's the demon blood that's sort of behind the hallucination it's the demon blood trying to convince it the portrait of Mary might be more or less accurate because it's coming from an external source that has more information about Mary mm-hmm. does that make sense like yeah so it's like it, it's, it's like is the demon blood sentient is the question yes 
It's like, is the reflection of Mary what Sam believes about Mary? Or is the, the hallucination of Mary what the demon blood wants Sam to think Mary would think or be like? Because Sam has never met Mary. It would be different if he was the one who got yeeted back to the 70s in, mm-hmm. in the beginning and he actually met Mary, but he hasn't. The last memory he has of Mary was when he was literally like six months old. Burning to death. I would argue that I think that the Mary hallucination is just what Sam wants to hear. Like, I genuinely think that what he wants is to hear from his mum that he's doing okay and that actually it's going to be fine. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like the equivalent of when you are really upset about something and all you want is to talk to that one person or have a hug or whatever from that one person. And, like, they are the one that can make you feel better. Like, his hallucination has already, like, played into his worst fear about Dean. It's He's not hallucinating John. No. That's what I was about to say. It's interesting, though, that he hallucinates Mary, but he doesn't hallucinate John. He literally hallucinates every single one of the core family except John. He hallucinates Dean, himself, and Mary, but he doesn't hallucinate John. He hallucinates Alistair, which is fucking interesting. Oh, I did want to also talk about, in terms of imagery... When he is hallucinating Alistair, he is in the cross mm-hmm. formation as well, which I just think is interesting given that there's a lot of religious stuff happening in this episode. Yeah. But yeah, so it is it is interesting. I Yeah, I think that the things that Mary is saying to Sam, so like, you're doing the right thing, Sam, you're not being crazy, you're being practical, which is the part that he then repeats back to Dean later in the episode. And she says, I'm so proud of you. Dean can never know how strong you are. He is weak. He is terrified. He's in over his head. You have to go on without him. Kill Lilith. And then Sam asks, even if it kills me. And she says, make my death mean something. Which is really odd because you could have almost this exact speech from John and it would still make sense. And considering John was a significantly larger part of Sam's life, it's interesting that they did choose Mary and not John. To be fair, it may have just been Jeffrey Dean Morgan was harder to get. Also, I think that Sam and John have such a turbid history that if John said you're doing the right thing, Sam would be less likely to take it and be like, yeah, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I think if John said you're doing the right thing, Sam would be like, fuck, I screwed up. You know? But it's, it's still interesting, though, that they didn't get John because John would have fit in perfectly here. Actually, you know what? It wouldn't actually make too much sense because John literally... His dying words were, if you can't save him, you have to kill him. Yeah, so there could have been a thing where he came in and he said, I told Dean, I told him, I warned him he would have to. Yeah. And actually that would work in so to be like, oh, he was too weak or whatever. And it would reinforce that idea further. It's just interesting to me, though, that they did choose Alistair, who didn't really have a plot line at all with, with Sam. Sam. Yeah, I think that too. All of the other, like, hallucinations, you can see the emotional impact. Mm-hmm. Alistair's just sort of like, I'm just going to torture you now. Yeah, Alistair feels odd. He feels out of place. I kind of wish what they'd done with Alistair is, like, they could even keep Alistair. That's fine. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But they'd made it like, <laughs> you were meant to be, like, the boy king or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to follow you. Why the hell would I follow you? You're weak. You're pathetic. Yeah. You're... It would have made more sense to have a Zazel than Alistair. Yeah. And they could have done it. Like, they had baby Sam's eyes flash yellow. Like they Which could have... somehow, the effect has gotten worse. Yeah, it didn't look great. Normally that effect is fine. Normally <laughs> I have no issues with that effect. But for some reason, the effect in this episode felt different to what they normally use for that effect, and it didn't feel as effective. Yeah. 
Okay, baby Sam, though, I do want to touch on, he has this whole point, which is like, how could you do this to me? I thought we were going to be normal. Like he says, you know, you were going to be a lawyer, you were going to get married, like what happened? And then we obviously get from Sam, like, you know, they killed Jessica. And Sam is still clearly blaming himself so much for Jess's death. What's interesting, though, is he goes on about how if you'd been there, you could have protected her, all of this bullshit. Doesn't even mention the fact that he casually saw her death several days before it happened. Mm, Yeah, which feels like it would have been appropriate to bring up in this moment. Yeah, weird omission. Because all they needed to do would change the line to, you knew something was going to happen, you saw it. Yeah. And yet you still went away with Dean, you still weren't there, you still didn't protect her. And, like, really hammer home that, yeah. you know, guilt, I suppose. It just feels like it's pulling punches for some reason. Mm. Which is interesting, because it's the, if of all the episodes to pull your punches, it wouldn't be this one. But when Sam says, like, sorry, kid, to his younger self, it really made me think of You're On Your Own Kid by yeah. Taylor Swift. And I was like, oh. I also thought that. I'm like, oh. I might need to see a fan edit. Anyway, (laughs) so that was interesting. But then Baby Sam says, you think she would be happy you using her as an excuse? And first of all, I want to touch on how in the very first episode in the pilot, Dean and Sam are having that argument. And Sam says, you think mum would have wanted this for us? Turns out Sam does think mum would have wanted that for him. (laughs) Actually going forwards but also backwards the prequel has actually really like this this is very retroactively john coded which is so interesting like the concept of using jess as an excuse to like hunt is like interesting because one of the things that spoils the prequel but one of the things that they have done is have john basically admit that he is using mary as an excuse to like you know he's like i'm i'm saying that i'm like doing this for one reason but actually that's just an excuse to cover up the actual reason i'm doing it sort of thing which is interesting which can reframe the whole fucking series if they keep pushing this so considering mary's not dead yet no it's like so you mean he was using mary as an excuse both in life and death yes and it's great because Mary actually calls him out on it. She's like, I don't need you using me as an excuse. And then they get like interrupted. And then later he's like, I'm sorry, you're right. I am using you as an excuse. So they actually have him admit it. Mm-hmm. So it's like a whole thing. So I'm like, wow, the Jonification of Sam is so strong that it is permeated into Jensen's fucking prequel. Or the Samification of John, maybe in this instance. Anyway, point is retroactively John coded. And I just think that's interesting. Oh, I also just want to say this episode feels especially relevant for my favourite reoccurring joke that I've come up with so far on the podcast. <laughs> How buff is Sam actually? Yeah. Like, this episode says some stuff about that. <laughs> and I made this joke in, what, 103? Yeah. 102? Dead in the water. No, it's dead in the water, 103. And somehow, this shit still is coming up. Like, every other episode. Why is this relevant? the demon blood i remember when you made that joke and i my immediate thought was i need to get off this topic immediately (laughs) to be fair not much has changed since then true i still make a joke and you're like we gotta get off this immediately (laughs) i will say though the effects where they have jared like spinning around the external wall of the panic room where like he's like thrown against the wall and then he like kind of rotates along first of all i think jared looks a little bit ridiculous but i think that's just by nature of his limbs 
What He's I, got too many of them. <laughs> too much just, of them. They're just quite long, and yeah. I feel like it was quite difficult for him to do too the many rotating is the wrong thing. Wrong. It's, it's the too much of it all. Yeah. But too much limb. I will say that whatever they did to actually have him thrown and like moved along mm. that wall, whatever effect they did, if it was lines or whatever, was very effective. Like I think that it was a good effect, whatever they did. And I think it was impactful. And I do want to do a kudos to Jared's acting in general in this episode, like when he's being tortured and stuff, especially because in these scenes, he's a lot of the time hallucinating. So he's acting against air. And, you know, I think that credit where credit's due. I think he did a good job in those moments. However, I do have one nitpicky thing. And I'm so sorry if I'm about to ruin this episode for some people, but for some reason, I've never noticed before how much he shows his teeth in this episode. Like, he just kind of lifts his top lip a lot. He's like that emoji that's like grimacing. Kind of, but you just see his teeth an awful lot in this episode. And I don't know why that stood out to me today, but it really did. And I don't know, next time you're watching this episode, just look at his teeth. Is there too much teeth? He just exposes them a lot. He's like bearing his teeth so much in this episode and in a lot of different contexts. Okie dokies. I think that brings us to your favourite point of every episode. <laughs> what do you think my PSA is this week, Beth? Okay, I don't know how to phrase it. Okay. But I do think that your PSA could be along the lines of like safe substance withdrawal programs. If you have someone who is addicted to a substance there are programs where they can be gradually weaned off of it rather than trying to go cold turkey because going cold turkey can often lead to bad outcomes, let's say. For this episode, that would be my guess. Yeah, awfully similar to what I was thinking for this episode in terms of like, maybe if you have someone addicted to drugs, don't Lock lock them in a basement with metal walls. And a Brita jug of water. And an empty bucket, which I have questions about, but I don't think we have time to I'm assuming into. it's for him to, like, pee and shit. Well, I mean... Like, I think it's a makeshift bathroom. Well, I also assumed that, but I also hate that. <laughs> PSA that really stands out is just, like, considering the person that is on drugs as a human enough to give them a safe space to recover in mm-hmm. versus uh, locking them in a metal box, essentially, with no support. Treating people with respect and dignity... Yeah. Like, addicts are still people. And an addiction is an illness. And that's just that. Before we go into our wrap up, I do have a couple extra little points that I just want to speed run through. Just some imagery stuff that yep. is just like nothing to actually talk about, but I just want to point I already out. submitted my imagery point for the day. <laughs> and it was A. It was gold it's standard. Good. All right. I'm going to speed run the rest of my notes. So bear with me. If anything doesn't make sense or you do want me to elaborate on it further or you want to talk about it, you can always hit us up on any of our social medias. Everything is in the link below. But here we go. Speedrun edition. The bar imagery at the very start of the episode when Sam is locked in the cage. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're looking through the little peephole and there's like the little grates. And also Sam is lit red because of the emergency light above the door. And then when they swap perspectives and you're looking at Dean, Dean is lit blue. But there are still the same bars, which kind of comes into our earlier discussion of the Dean and Cass yeah. scene with the bar imagery. I didn't bring up the bar imagery in that scene just simply because... It's kind of obvious. They're literally imprisoning him. Yeah. Yeah. Look, like, in Sam's case, it's less about the imagery and more about what is just actually happening. It's but with not Dean metaphorical. in the reverse. With yeah. Dean in the reverse, I think that it is worth noting. And yeah. the lighting, I think, is still worth noting. I also wanted to note Dean's line, if it smells like a duck, which 
I understand, but I also think it's hysterical in this context. It doesn't, just feels, doesn't have a smell. Like, it just feels so out of place, you know? Like, it's just... Well, considering the actual phrase is, like, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, then yes. it's a duck. <laughs> it's not if it smells like a duck. <laughs> Dean's just out here sniffing poultry, apparently. Also, Dean, in a non-hallucination, calls Sam desperate, which is just peak validation for us so i wanted to quickly draw attention to that we've been calling sam desperate for seasons sam tells dean he's been too busy being self-righteous i think that is interesting given the whole righteous man arc and so i think it's interesting to have that sort of taken in a new sort of direction so not about being actually righteous but about being self-righteous and i think that is an interesting narrative flipping of the script yeah i think that's really interesting i just wanted to mention The difference between Sam being locked in the panic room in the basement and then Dean leaving and walking up the stairs literally into the light. I just thought that that was, again, probably a really obvious thing, but I just think it is effective. I think it works well. And you can also still hear Sam, like, screaming in the basement as Dean is, like, looking up into the house. And so that's just interesting. I want to talk about how after they chain Sam to the bed, he just looks so small and, like, sorry for himself. Like, the way that they've shot the scene where, like, the camera angle is coming from and, like, the way the rest of the room is, he just looks so tiny. And I just think it's impressive that they achieved that because Jared is such a giant person. When Cass breaks the bonds that he is in, Sam is lit with blue and white. But when he walks out of the room, he walks through the door under the red light. So he's still walking away from the angelic and is still walking towards the demonic, even though it's Cass that has broken him out. I do, we didn't touch on it at all, so I do want to mention it quickly. The scene where Bobby confronts Sam with the rifle when Sam is making his great escape. I want to point out that Bobby does something that we've already been told as the audience you should never do for the exact reason that happens in this scene. So in season two, when we meet Joe and Ellen, Joe puts the rifle right against Dean's back and he says to her, you really shouldn't do that because it makes it real easy to do this. And he turns around, he grabs the rifle out of her hands. Yeah. And Sam does the exact same thing. He literally just grabs the rifle and uses it to butt Bobby in the head. And then Bobby's down for the count. So I just think that's interesting. I also very quickly wanted to mention that when Ruby meets Sam in the hotel, she completely deflects from the fact that she has been radio silent and not responding to Sam and not coming to give him another hit for weeks by saying, I'm so sorry, I had no idea that Dean would do that to you. So she has taken the fact that he was only in that position because she put him there Mm. and turned it into, I can't believe Dean reacted that way and did that horrible thing to you. And so I just think it's interesting that she was able to turn that situation into an attack on Dean rather than a reflection of her own actions. She really was like Uno reverse there. She was (laughs) like... I left you desperate enough for a hit that you were willing to do anything. But, oh my God, how mean was Dean, right? Yeah, genuinely. And I think that was everything that I really, like, at least for my speed run, there's a lot more we could say about this episode, but I think that basically covers the main bits and bobs. Which, unless you have any last points to add? No, I am done for the day. Cool. So that brings us to our rating. So, Jamie, what would you rate this episode, The Levy Breaks, out of five? I am debating because, okay. like, I am sort of between, like, a three and a three and a half. 
Didn't love it. Totally not my jam. It's not your type of Not my sort of episode. It also didn't really give me a lot of payoff that made me go, oh, wow, yeah, this was insane. Like, I feel really vindicated because I was right about so much stuff. Or, Mm -hmm. like, thank God I finally got an explanation for that. Like, it didn't really... Like, we got some stuff, but it was more sort of, like, just generic, par the course, exactly what it was very obvious they were going to do. It was very linear. In this instance as well, it being the episode before the finale, like, we needed to set up the finale. It needs to set up the finale. It did what it was meant to do. But it was also, like, I I don't know. I just didn't really have fun watching it. So I think think I'm leaning towards, like, maybe a three out of five. Like, it feels kind of harsh. And I don't know when I started thinking of my ratings of Supernatural as harsh. (laughs) Sometime in this season. Because, like, let's face it, I've never hesitated to give a low score before. But, like, I just, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't want to shit all over your favourite show. But also, like, this just didn't give me what I wanted it to give me. For me, it wasn't an enjoyable episode for tonal and plot reasons. So I think I think I'm gonna have to go with my gut and just give it a three out of five stars. Like cool. it was fine. There was nothing glaringly wrong with it. It just didn't do what I would have wanted it to do. Did you have any thoughts, feelings, fears, predictions for next week's episode, which is titled Lucifer Rising? Uh, it is the finale of season four. What are your thoughts? Okay, so actually the title of that might change sort of what I said earlier in the episode. Yeah, I look, I was looking at this title earlier and I was like, well, <laughs> so they could have been a bit more subtle. <laughs> of it, I think based on the title, we are actually going to get the final seal broken by Lilith. I think there's nothing they can do. Lilith will break the final seal. Lucifer will rise. Mm-hmm. They've sort of framed it as when Lucifer rises, that's the apocalypse. Like Lucifer rising is the apocalypse. Is it, yeah. I think it's going to be similar to what I was thinking about before, but slightly different in that Lucifer rising will be sort of like the triggering point for the apocalypse, if that makes sense. Like for the apocalypse, you need Lucifer. But to get Lucifer, you need to break all the seals. Yeah. So like this season was breaking all the seals to get Lucifer. And then season five is going to be them trying to stop Lucifer from actually ending the world. Ending the world. That's how they're buying time. Because it's not so much the characters are buying time, it's the writers are buying yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's more of what's going to happen. I think they're going to try and stop Lilith. I think Sam's going to rejoin Ruby. They're going to try and kill Lilith. I think the angels are going to call on Dean. Oh, I think it'd be interesting if we actually get... Because like obviously we've seen Hell already because we see Dean in Hell. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting if we see more of Hell, but we also get to actually see Heaven. Like, because we've been told about heaven and hell at this point, mm. it'd be interesting to actually get some shots on location. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. to actually see, like, the angels, now that Dean's, like, especially desperate because he's just lost Sam, mm-hmm. to see them go full, like, recruitment mode to try and fully get Dean on board. Because I think even though he's already pledged allegiance, there's still some wiggle room yeah. in that pledge. You know what I mean? Like, especially in the follow God's orders like you would your father's. Because, like, let's face it, near the end there, he wasn't really following John's orders all that much, Yeah, John he? told him to kill Sam. Let's, how's that worked out for us so far? So I think there's a bit too much wiggle room, so the angels are going to have to try and do, like, this is what you're fighting for, this is why you need to help us, sort of recruitment pitch. Okay, so you think it's going to be like a uh, Shark Tank-esque 
scenario. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly what I was imagining. Yeah, come to Zachariah's TED Talk. I think you've basically already answered this question, but like, do we think Cass is going to be in the next episode? Yeah, you're making a face at me like I'm a moron for even asking. Yep, you're right. It's the season finale. It'd be stupid if he wasn't, let's be like, real. Let's face it, at this point, Cass was already meant to be dead. They, they've left him alive for a reason, and I think that reason will mean that he has to be in the finale. So I think that just about does it for today's episode. If you wanted to get in touch with us at all, you can always find us at any of the links in all of our descriptions. So any of those social medias, we've got a whole mess of them. If Twitter goes down, then you can find us on Tumblr. You can find us sort of on TikTok. We have a whole Discord channel. That is a whole bunch of fun if you wanted to head over there. Next week, obviously, we are covering the finale of season four. We are going to be joined by a special guest, Naomi, my roommate, who, if you remember, was in our second episode of the season. She is going to be back by popular demand. So we're looking forward to that. If you wanted to get in touch, some topics of conversation could include... Did you notice the wing imagery in that scene the first time around? Yeah, mine dumb. <laughs> is the question. Or is the scene too dark? If there was any other imagery that you noticed that we missed, any lighting choices or directing choices that you think are of note, we would love to hear any about. Any other jacting choices that you want to point out? Jacting choices? There were so many in this episode and I don't think we covered them all. You tell me, did Jared's teeth feel like they were weirdly present to you or was that just me? <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening and hopefully we'll have you back next week. Bye! Bye!